Podcasters, assemble! This is Troidal Power from the Power Playthroughs Podcast. Hi, this is Arjuna Gonzalez from Thoughts from the Level Editor. Hi, I'm Jason from the Drinkopedia Podcast. All right, hello, this is Sparks Witty from the Fake Nerd Podcast. Hey everyone, this is Becky, Troy's wife. Hey everyone, it's Rob here, your friendly neighborhood comic geek. And this is... The Avengers, The Age of Ultron. Avengers, Age of Ultron. Avengers, Age of Ultron. Avengers, Age of Ultron. Avengers 2, Age of Ultron. Avengers, Age of Ultron. Avengers, Age of Ultron, which has nothing to do with the comic book of the same name. The Age of Ultron comic is like him taking over the world and the Wolverine goes back in time and it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing, you guys. So don't pick up the comic expecting it to be like uh, like the film. The Avengers, when they first came along, were kind of like this ragtag team. They had to really set up that dynamic for them. But by Avengers 2, their dynamic is set. They, you know, they have this strong uh, chemistry with each other. But it's a shame because we start the movie with the Avengers all together finishing up Hydra. Like, what What happened? Like, is it all just an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and I didn't watch the show enough to, to catch all of that? Like, how did we go from, oh, and by the way, all of S.H.I.E.L.D. has been Hydra, half of S.H.I.E.L.D. has been Hydra, spoilers, and now we start this film and we're finishing up taking out Hydra? Or they're like, we've been taking out Hydra bases for whatever. Like, well, sh- dude, like, you could show us that. Show us a little more of that. Make that, you know, part of the film leading into, I guess, if your story has to be about Ultron. I think my favorite hero moment is actually pretty hard to nail down. I, I think that the opening sequence with all the Avengers working together as a team after we saw them kind of fumbling through it and figuring it out in the first film is a really excellent scene. As the opening action scene is starting to wrap up, Tony Stark goes inside of the uh, Hydra base and has guns pointed at him by all the Hydra goons inside. And he says, come on, guys, let's talk. And then he uh, fires little neutralizing missiles at all of them. They all get knocked down. He goes, all right, good talk. And one of them just goes, no, it wasn't. This is a nice start to the um, the comedy that goes through this film, which is good but feels conflicted because this is a pretty dark premise, but it's also a pretty funny movie. It's a weird conflict. But that uh, aside, there's so much else that I think really does work in this film. I think the driving force of Tony being so afraid of what he saw when he went through the black hole, which is something, you know, we, we got at the end of Avengers and then we saw him dealing with an Iron Man three and now here he is. And he wants to protect the entire world from the threat that's inevitably coming, which we all know is Thanos and the vision he has of all his friends dying. That being such a weight that motivates him and drives him through this film is, is excellent. I think that uh, Tony Stark is such a well-built character through the MCU because they do treat him like this growing character through each film. And this is another step 
that puts us closer to where we're going to end up in Infinity War and eventually Endgame. And I think that really, really lands Tony being driven by this fear and this regret. We also get introduced to Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch, but because they don't really know how to define them or what they do. And later on, it's this weird retcon of they use the staff and it's so it's Loki's pokey stick somehow gave them superpowers because it had the mind stone in it. And that gives people superpowers, except only the two times and then helps create the vision. Like there's some really weird thing continuity wise that goes that goes on here. I'm really glad that Don Cheadle got to have some amount in this film. The party scene is just so good. The party scene is so important. I don't think I don't think people appreciate it as much uh, for the important piece. And is this this film as a whole makes it so that civil war works. We can't have civil war without having Age of Ultron because we have to know that this is a group of superheroes who care about each other and who have this global influence around the world as as heroes and um, and what the weight and consequences of that will be uh, delivered later in film in other films. But this film sets the standard of who they are, what they mean to each other, and that party scene is an excellent example of it. Them them having the time to just relax and be themselves with each other is so crucial. I think that's a often overlooked just because it's fun and funny scene, but it's so important for the, the characters overall because it makes every moment where we believe that they're friends later in every film to come matter so much more. Also, I know Becky usually covers the Stanley cameos, but I think this is uh, the best Stanley cameo so far. So Thor is pouring some weird Asgardian drink and somebody says, I gotta have some of that. And Thor says, oh, no, no, no. See this? This was aged for a thousand years in barrels built from the wreck of Grundil's fleet. It was not meant for mortal men. And Stanley's character says, Neither was Omaha Beach, Blondie. Stop trying to scare us. Come on. So he pours them some and then we cut to them carrying the guy away saying, Excelsior! Because he's super drunk. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. We get this uh, little cute little moment between the Avengers, kind of a slice of life moment where they're all kind of gathered around Thor's hammer. They're all drunk, you know, and they're all kind of like, what, what's, what, what's with your hammer, man? Is magic a thing? You know, can only you really hold it? And they all take their try at the hammer and it shows their camaraderie. It shows their, you know, their, their little sensible kind of like family dynamic. Also, in that scene where the different Avengers try to pick up Mjolnir, Black Widow doesn't even try. And she just brushes it off saying, oh, that's not a question I need answered. Is this handled in a later film? Does she pick up Mjolnir? And I also love the little tease where Captain America tries to lift the hammer. He budges it ever so slightly. You can see Chris Hemsworth's fantastic performance of like, uh, uh, now. <laughs> so, and, I, and I really love it because it, it makes the Avengers really seem like a family. And I just love when our heroes can really get that moment of peace because going forward, it's, uh, it's not so fun for them. My favorite line of dialogue is probably what Ultron says at the beginning of the movie. I'm sorry. I know you mean well. You just didn't think it through. You want to protect the world, but you don't want it to change. How is humanity saved if it's not allowed to evolve? These? These puppets. There's only one path to peace. The Avengers' extinction. 
In anticipation of this movie, I was super excited for Ultron. I think from all the trailers we got, James Spader doing the voiceover, it's grating. I was scared. I was really intimidated by this character who has this maniacal, egotistical sense of philosophy and image of humanity, but also it's James Spader. James Spader's voice is amazing. And I and I really wish that it had translated into the actual film because in the actual film, he just comes off as like a poor man's Tony Stark. He's just quipping all over the place. And I think some of that magic is lost, but I'll always remember James Spader in this role from the trailers. I think Ultron is a really underappreciated villain. I think he's super well built into the film. I don't know that we could have gotten a better version of Ultron personality-wise. James Spader does such a great job bringing so much to the table of the character. And I think that works really, really well in moments of him not knowing how to explain the word children and missteps like that. He feels like an AI construct kind of figuring things out as it goes, but, but still carrying some of Tony Stark's personality because he comes from him. I like, uh, after watching it more than once, and it's been a while since I've seen this movie, but I remember upon rewatching, I like Ultron more because I like the idea that he's this artificial intelligence, but because he has AI and can make decisions, he's wrong. You know, he, he feels, oh no, I misunderstood. No, that's not what I'm doing. I, oh no, is it? Oh my God, that is what's happening. I'm not actually here to save the world, you know, and we have this great and they could have dug a little more into it, but they kind of saved it for Civil War. This idea of this is really Tony Stark's fault, right? He's doing something clearly bad because he's trying to build a suit of armor for the entire world because he is terrified of the aliens. I wish they had played a little more into his PTSD in there. So I think my favorite villain moment for Ultron would have to be when they go and meet Claw, which is also a great bit, including Claw in this, played by Andy Serkis, who just milks it for all he's got, talking about cuttlefish and everything. Uh, Ultron has this moment where he's talking with Claw and Claw says that he's like Iron Man because he says something that Tony once said to him. And Ultron has a temper tantrum and freaks out and says, don't compare me to Stark and uh, slices his arm off because he's not, he doesn't like being compared to Iron Man. And that's such a good reveal, especially the, the immediate emotion shift of when he gets angry and he cuts the arm off and then he immediately goes, oh, that looks bad. I'm so sorry. But then he's still mad and he still kicks him even after he apologizes. Uh, it's it's nuts. It's just so, so really good uh, to show this kind of erratic, too emotional villain. And that's a problem in the MCU that, the, that we don't get enough of a window, I think, into some of the, the motives or, or even just personalities of the Marvel villains. But Ultron really has one, and he stands apart because of it. And I think that's really, really excellent. And I thought that moment defined it really well. Thor gets whammied with the Wanda's powers, and he starts having the mind-altering vision, but he's pretty sure he dodged it. So he's telling the others, be careful, she tried to mess with my mind. Didn't work on me. Fortunately, I am mighty. And, and that whole attitude, even as he's doing it, and as he's turning the corner, it's turning into the vision. So obviously, it's still affected him. There's a lot of really great moments. Uh, I think every time that Captain America and Thor do a combo move, and uh, kind of play banter with each other about it. It's really, really great. So Hulk 
hulked out for real and was like going crazy and Iron Man was trying to stop him um, and he's been trying and trying to to get him to stop. Somebody did a really good job with the CG in making the Hulk look like Mark Ruffalo. I don't remember the Hulk in the Avengers like all that well, but I do remember watching this movie and thinking, huh, they really did a good job of capturing his face. I, I guess, oh man, it's really hard to top the Hulkbuster Hulk scene. I mean, that was that was such big hype going into this movie, was knowing that that scene was coming, know, knowing that there was going to be this throwdown between Tony and the Hulk. And it's executed so very well. And the whole time, Tony's constantly trying to save people while also trying to take take the Hulk down a notch. And that's just that's just so well executed. Uh, they, they showed it in all the previews that this was coming, so we kind of knew to expect it. And... I kind of expected it to feel more like a repeat of the uh, the fight in the first Avengers movie where uh, mostly Thor and Iron Man go at it and then Cap comes in at the end. I like that fight, but narratively, you could just skip that scene and it, it wouldn't really impact the story at all. Um, whereas in Age of Ultron, I feel like they actually did a good job of making the fight between the Hulkbuster armor and the Hulk um, narratively weighted. It, it, it explains some choices that Banner makes later on. It explains more the depth of his fear of the Hulk, and it explains why uh, he ends up deciding to to run away at the end of the movie. So I, I really like this movie. Plus, it's got some great lines. Uh, at one point, Tony's got the Hulk pinned down, and he's just got like a jackhammer fist punching the Hulk in the face over and over again. He's going, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. And it's hilarious. Very, very good. And then also... Uh, there's a bit where he manages to actually knock out one of the Hulk's teeth and then it just cuts to Tony going, I'm sorry. I think probably the most excellent uh, hero-related thing is the inclusion of Hawkeye's family in this film. Getting to really develop Hawkeye as a character in this movie is so important and getting kind of a ground-level perspective on the Avengers as a whole through Hawkeye's eyes is a really useful piece to the narrative of the film as a whole. We get this whole thing of Hawkeye's family, which I feel like we don't need because we hadn't really spent time on Hawkeye. And I get that. And I understand that you need to slow things down to, to dump some exposition and have your characters interact in a way that's not fighting, but you could have used that time to show us what the Avengers have been up to between uh, you know, Avengers and now or between uh, Winter Soldier and now, like there's things you could have shown us that I think would have done a better job of rounding out the world and get, letting us know these characters a little better. I really appreciate when his wife is saying how much they need him and that scares her and knowing that he's just a man amongst these, these godlike figures is just so daunting yet uh, he's such an important piece of, of glue to the team and because we haven't gotten an idea of that f about Hawkeye before. Tony Stark and Fury are talking to each other. Fury has just shown up um, in the um, garage at the farm and Tony goes, you're not the director of me. And Fury goes, I'm not the director of anybody. I'm just an old man who cares very much about you. Some things had come out a little better, like things that don't work for me are 
Black Widow and Bruce Banner's relationship. And it's not even that I'm necessarily against the idea of it. It just doesn't play right for me in this movie. And because it goes nowhere in the rest of the films, it's just kind of ultimately disappointing. And I find a little lackluster. I don't think it, it really helps build either of the characters in the direction I want, especially where Natasha's coming from in Winter Soldier. This feels like a step backwards for her character in a way. She she was left with so much confidence and agency for herself by the end of Winter Soldier, and this kind of relegates a lot of her story to what whatever is this relationship drama with Bruce. I really like Nick Fury's line as he's drawing the team together and convincing them that they're still going to fight, even though it all seems hopeless. And he says, back in the day, I had eyes everywhere, ears everywhere else. Here we all are, back on Earth, with nothing but our wit and our will to save the world. So stand. Outwit the platinum bastard. It's the scene where Ultron and Quicksilver slash Scarlet Witch are in the castle together, and they're talking about Tony Stark, and they talk in very vivid detail about the shell that killed their parents, and circumstances under which that happened and it fits very well into the broader theme of this movie and other things that i've heard from listening to previous podcasters assemble episodes and uh looking at the summary of like iron man 3 of how tony stark's past just continues to come back to haunt him And, uh, oh man, that chase scene that Captain America has uh, going after the semi against uh, Ultron and fighting on the top of it is really, really great. Captain America taking on Ultron solo, even as uh, Hawkeye tells him he's no match for him. They're stealing the cradle from Ultron with what's going to be Vision inside of it. Just because it's so well done and seeing like the scene of Captain versus uh, the Ultron android and like fighting on top of the truck and all of that and uh, Black Widow on the trailer as it's taking off in midair. Just a truck trailer flying in midair like that is, is awesome to begin with and then that whole climactic scene at the end where Captain America is on that train and it's like just careening off and they're trying to get the civilians out of the way and bring it to a stop. It's awesome when Scarlet Witch, at the end of that whole sequence with the train, tells Captain America, Ultron can't tell the difference between saving the world and destroying it. Where do you think he gets that? Another thing that doesn't work really well and I think is really ham-fisted is Thor's jacuzzi vision in the cave where he has to have the the infinity stones laid out for him which is really laid out for the audience and even then like it's it's very nonsensically connected to what he saw in the vision with heimdall and what that ultimately leads to in ragnarok it's all kind of just not very coherent and i find it the weakest part of the film even weaker than the bruce and nat relationship uh age of ultron clearly had a lot of studio interference they were trying to set up more like Infinity War stuff where Thor has to go take a bath and have a dream. 
but it's still uh, it's still a strong film overall. And I mean, it does bring about like the, the purpose of its existence is to settle the argument of like, why is Tony still wanting to create vision? And, and Steve's like, why are you even doing this? And Tony's like, no, trust me, it's going to work. And Thor has to kind of come in and say, like, this is happening. I had a vision, so it must. Now, this movie introduces vision. And in terms of dangling threads, we get this little sense that he's got a mind stone. We see our next infinity stone to this. And there is this thread of like, well, now it's in his, it's in the guy's head. One of these MacGuffins that Thanos is searching for is implanted in a dude's skull. How is that going to work out? I think this is all, phase two is all a great lead up to what is eventually going to happen to these weird space MacGuffins. What is going to happen to the Avengers and what threat is looming over them when it comes. And the Avengers kind of, you know, in, in fashion, just kind of go, I mean, we'll deal with it when we'll deal with it. And I think that plays really well into Marvel's dynamic, you know? We're going to deal with it when we deal with it. And you know your heroes are going to win. And if they don't, well, we've always got sequels. <laughs> We're just going to keep this train rolling. My favorite hero moment would be in the last third of the movie where Vision has been created under very dramatic circumstances. And half of the Avengers don't trust him. They think that they're looking at Ultron's creation that's going to destroy the world. And Vision is talking about how he doesn't really know if he's a monster or what they intended, but there's no way anybody is going to be able to stop Ultron without all of them working together, and they have to go. I'm not what you are, and not what you intended, so there may be no way to make you trust me. And it just, like, pans over to him handing Thor his hammer. And he has picked up Mjolnir and he's holding it for Thor to take. And it's already been established or re-established earlier in the movie that none of the other Avengers are worthy of picking up the hammer. But Vision can do it too. Yes. And everybody's just standing there, like, in shock. Because earlier in the movie, they had all stood around, you know, they were all hanging out drinking and everybody was trying to pick up Thor's hammer and nobody could do it. And Thor said, you know, you can't pick it up unless you're worthy. And Vision is worthy. And so they all trust him. And I thought that was really cool. Um, a, a good way to for them to show that Vision is not Ultron and Vision is trustworthy. When the team has tracked Ultron to Sokovia and they're ready to go start the final battle, uh, they, they've, you know, Vision has been born, he's picked up the hammer, they're ready to go fight, and Cap goes, three minutes, get what you need. Why doesn't he say suit up? The team really seems outmatched in the end fight. They have no clue what they're walking into, and they have no plan for how to deal with the situation. Cap's got a line here that I, I like the line on its own, which is, Stark, you worry about bringing the city back down safely. The rest of us have one job, tear these things apart. You get hurt, hurt them back. You get killed, walk it off. I like it, but that's not a plan, Cap. And, and it makes me think, I, I actually just read the Age of Ultron books, which start with, like, Cap is wrecked at the start of those books because he has no plan. He has no plan on how to deal with Ultron. And I think maybe that's, I feel like that's where this version of Captain America would go if this plan hadn't worked. If he lived through this and, and Ultron's Sokovia plan had worked, I think Cap would realize, like, oh, man, 
I don't have a plan. And if I don't have a plan, I, what am I going to do? We get a lot of, like, great creative combos between them, you know? Like, Thor's hitting off Cap's uh, shield. Iron Man's hitting off Cap's shield. I think Vision hits off Cap's shield. People just hit things off of Cap's shield, and it makes awesome movie sequences. But they're all kind of repeats of Avengers 1, where they're just fighting this huge, nameless army. And we don't really care about the stakes of that because they're nameless, and, and it's just... It's just the same CGI model over and over again. Um, while so, so while they're great by themselves, I think they're only tarnished by the fact they were kind of repeated by what we saw in Avengers 1. And again, we deal with the, with the problem of Hawkeye anyway, where he literally says, Hey, look at me. It's your fault. It's everyone's fault. Who cares? Are you up for this? Are you? Look, I just need to know, because the city is flying. Okay, look, the city is flying? We're fighting an army of robots, and I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. But I'm going back out there because it's my job, okay? And I can't do my job and babysit. It doesn't matter what you did or what you were. If you go out there, you fight, and you fight to kill. Stay in here, you're good. I'll send your brother to come find you. But if you step out that door, you are an adventure. That's what the Avengers do, and I think that's a really excellent, just on-the-nose moment of defining heroism from the perspective of the Avengers and uh, Hawkeye is just such a great character to see that through. Not to mention all the great moments that they use with him and Pietro bantering against each other. Just excellent moments. Uh, the constant back and forth between the two throughout the film really builds well. Even at the beginning of the Avengers, the first thing that happens when Loki shows up in the shield compound is Hawkeye pulls a pistol on him. Hawkeye's okay to shoot guns. He grabbed, a, a started reaching for a sniper rifle in uh, Thor before he decides to go for the bow and arrow when we get our, our first glimpse of Hawkeye. So, I, you know, I don't know. The idea of making him stick with the bow and arrow makes sense because of the comic books, but I, I feel like he would have done a good job in uh, The Winter Soldier, maybe. I feel like that would make sense. I'm super dying for this, uh, you know, Scarlet Witch-Hawkeye sort of origin film. I want to see them do Black Ops stuff. Like, that's why they're part of the Avengers is they round out the team, but we never really get to see him do anything except the big superhero battles. And so for him to be the guy that makes a big inspiring speech felt a little off, I guess. He's the Xander of the group, right? He's the Zeppo, the guy that sort of is just there with everybody else. But he has absolute uses. They just haven't found a way to use them yet, which is a shame considering um, the other films in the series where, where he could have been fit in. I wish Don Cheadle had gotten to have a little more play in this film. He kind of just disappears, and it's a little weird that he does. He does come back for the very end of the film, but he was there when Ultron's first attack started, and I wish that we got a little more War Machine action in that. I think that would have been really cool to see him still be a part of it, but I'm glad he's in it for the amount that he is. One of the best shots in this final fight scene, there's the like flying around, spinning around shot that we get from the first Avengers of like everybody kind of working together. But my favorite is where uh, the like the prime Ultron body is coming towards the, the church in the middle of the town that everyone's trying to defend. And we get Vision and Thor and Iron Man all blasting him at one time with different attacks. And it just looks it looks straight out of a comic book. That shot will always make me happy. Probably my favorite line of dialogue actually comes from the Vision Ultron discussion at the end where Ultron 
is saying that humanity is doomed and vision says back that that they are but a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts and that there's grace in their failures i think you miss that and i think that's that's just such a great tete-a-tete between ultron and and the version of uh himself that he kind of wanted to create in a way this this counterintelligence to him is so interesting and that that they're almost two sides of a different coin really getting that moment because you don't you don't have that parable on ultron until the very end of the movie and i thought that was just such a such a great final note as visions talking to the very last of ultron centuries and he has that to say to him and that's what ultron has to end on and it, it kind of disgusts him even in the end but that's that's what it is and i thought that was the right line the right dialogue to go out on for that that kind of what this whole movie had been about from ultron's perspective i thought that was really excellent like i already talked about before vision is the only other avenger who can wield mjolnir so does that mean he's going to get dragged into all the different plot threads that have been going on with Asgard? So are we going to see him in Thor Ragnarok? Be cool to know. Now this is Joss Whedon's last film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I can see why now. <laughs> well, he, he gave us Avengers 1 and that was fantastic. And I still think that holds up. I believe the cracks of Joss Whedon can be found here. You know, I think there was a lot of stipulations that he were, he was given, you know, you got to introduce vision. You got to introduce infinity stones. You got to do this, this, and this, that kind of blocked him creatively at the same time, his answer to these creative blocks made by Marvel studios and Kevin Feige were, I'll just do the same thing that worked the first time. Right. And then he did it with justice league and it didn't work out Joss. And, uh, while this film isn't as amazing as it could be, you know, it, it gave us vision, it gave us Scarlet Witch, and it booted Joss Whedon. So I think all in all, it's a win. All that set aside, the, this film, Age of Ultron, I feel like it gets uh, overlooked a bit. There's definitely like an amount of behind the scenes issues. Joss Whedon certainly talked about it before that this one this one didn't come as comfortably or naturally to him as the first Avengers film did. There's a whole lot of reasons behind that, but I think for how much we've heard about some of the turmoil behind the scenes, the fact that the film still came out as strong as it did, that it still gets across so much important character development and moving on the next step, it's it's really a blessing in the MCU, and it, it lays just as much foundation for where things can go after as the first Avengers did, because the first Avengers proved that this could work. Avengers Age of Ultron showed where these characters can go in relation to each other, how much they can mean to each other, why it's important that they are the beginning of this this growing and expanding universe, and that they're right at the center of it. Ultron really establishes that as a concrete idea, and it doesn't work in all of its ways, but it works in a lot of its ways. And uh, I hope that people can kind of look back on it and go, you know, Ultron wasn't as as rough as we thought. It's certainly not on the scale that the first Avengers film was. And there are certainly other very strong Marvel Cinematic Universe films in the collection. But I think it holds a pretty good, strong place. And it's the comic book team-up film that we always really wanted there to be in the MCU. And it does deliver a lot of that really well, even with a few bumps along the way. 
So Age of Ultron, certainly, I think, the weakest of the Avengers films. Uh, supposedly, this is due to a lot of interference from, if it's Kevin Feige or the studio, telling Joss Whedon what he could and could not do with the characters. The fact that they had to basically get rid of Quicksilver because X-Men had one and people liked him better. Yeah, there's a lot of things in here that's sort of a shame. But it's a serviceable movie, and it is certainly a stepping stone along the way because we need this Sokovia event in order to inform the events of Captain America Civil War. And have we really seen the last of Ultron? As somebody said in a past episode, unless you see a body, they're not dead. And even if there is a body, they're probably not dead. How do we know Ultron hasn't encoded himself into a porn video somewhere? Hmm? Podcasters Assemble Probably is a production of the We Can Make This Work Probably Podcast Network. This episode edited and produced by me, Troidal Power. Find more of our shows at probablywork.com and learn how to join the initiative and contribute to future episodes of Podcasters Assemble Probably by looking us up on Twitter as at Casters Assemble. Submissions are always open. Thank you to everyone who was able to contribute to this episode. Be sure to check the show notes for links to all the places you can find them online. Special thanks to executive producer Tyler Thornton for keeping this show on track. Tony's cracking in all the files in this Hydra base when he, uh, he has Jarvis do a scan of the room and it reveals that there's some airflow in a place where it doesn't make sense for there to be an airflow and tony goes please be a secret door please be a secret door please be a secret door and it pops open and he goes yay i love his little yay yay it's the happiest little yay it's so good Podcasters Assemble probably will return in Ant-Man. I think I said something like this on Discord. It's cool that Vision is Jarvis in a robot body. Wait a minute.
super intelligent AI in a robot body. Hey, Robo Gonzalez. Hey, Arjuna. What you working on? I'm doing more background research for the cyborg cast. I'm investigating nah, the 3D nah, print nah, of the nah, device. Nah. That can wait. You've earned a break. Why don't you come with me? We are going to watch a movie again. Like it. It's about the super intelligent AI that starts.